Over 460 million people around the world have disabling hearing loss. Starkey Hearing Foundation provides hearing aids and hearing-related health care to millions of patients in over 100 countries. But they need your support to continue helping those in need. Give the gift of hearing by donating to the Listen In Campaign. Go to listenincampaign.org to donate today. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N dot O-R-G. The following program is an MLWRadio.com production. Hey everybody, welcome to Primetime Hacksaw, Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney once again. This is episode 10. And once again, I want to thank everybody for the tremendous response we've been getting to our podcast as we roll along here in the weeks. Uh, The Twitter comments, the emails, keep them coming. We love the stories, we love the questions, and of course, we love you subscribing on iTunes. I want to bring in right now WWE Hall of Famer and my broadcast colleague, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Hey, Jim. Hello, Sean. Hello, buddy. And of course, you know I got to do it, man. Oh, I tell you, it does. It just makes you feel good. I get up in the morning, I get a ho. At night, I go to bed, I get a ho. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you sound great today. And I know it, there's good reason for it. Uh, you had quite a week, a very busy week. Last time uh, we chatted, you were with the family in upstate New York. What's happened since then? Yeah, beautiful. Went up to my, uh, my dad bought a cabin probably 50 years ago up in the Adirondack Mountains. It's beautiful up there, you know, not far from Lake Placid. And we had deer and turkey all around the house. It was a, a lot of fun. And then the next uh, Friday night, I ended up in uh, Boston. So from going uh, up to the wilderness of the Adirondacks to downtown mm-hmm. Boston was really great. But I, uh, I hooked up with my good friend, Dr. Marty Ur- Urban, who d- takes care of actually a lot of wrestlers' uh, teeth. He's a uh, oral surgeon. He did oh. Lanny Poffo, uh, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, uh, Tugboat. He's helped out a lot of guys with their teeth up there. But I went up there and did an appearance with him. And, of course, we went to these big fancy Dan wine bars, you know, in Worcester, Massachusetts. And about half the people in the place don't know who I am, you know. So we're in there all, oh, hey, yo, that's right, you know. Yeah, you come in with a two-by-four, I think they probably uh, wonder a little bit. Oh, and then by the by, the time we leave there to go to this other fancy damn joint, we had this big limo bus, you know, we all pile on it. We got the Deborah with me and all the girls that worked at the office there, and we pile on the bus. Now we're picking up some stragglers, and they're like, hey, Hacksaw's in town, and folks are following them. So now we get to the other club, and one of the guys we're with is arguing with some guy in the car. Get out of that car, I'll kick your butt. You know, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Get me in the car or get me in the restaurant as quick as possible, you know. And uh, we had a good time, kind of shook up a few people and hopefully won a couple of wrestling fans over. But always a good time up there with uh, Dr. Marty, man. He takes care of the boys, which is nice to do. Yeah, when you mentioned uh, doctor, I thought maybe you're getting a few parts replaced. Because, uh, at this point, I know you haven't had any, so are we still intact? Nothing still, new, right? Yeah. All the original body parts. I know everybody <laughs> else, I said, yeah, Jake's got a new hip. Uh, Teddy's got two new knees. Uh, Foley's got a new shoulder. Duggan, all the original body parts. I come in the original packaging, tough guy. Ho! <laughs> as long as you keep greasing them and they keep working, that's good. Uh, right? have, a, have a good time. I still enjoy that it out there. Shot. <laughs> that, oh, where's that, that train cool. whistle? Get the- <laughs> yeah. right, well, we'll hear it soon. Uh, before we move on, 
Yeah, but before we move on, Jim, uh, I did want to mention, I know a lot of people in the wrestling world have really been concerned this week. Uh, we heard news uh, that uh, Ric Flair had been hospitalized. I know that uh, you've known him forever, for decades, and I know it's a big concern of not just the folks out there, the boys in the business, uh, but you as well. I tell you, he's got a, a lot of friends. I mean, he has a lot of people that he worked with, but I've known the man for 30 years, and I've always said Ric Flair, I mean, he's the type guy you'd want as your world champion. He could be on the road for two months. He's still got creases in his pants. He's still got his uh, sports jacket on, still looking a million dollars. You go out, party all night, come perform like yeah. nothing ever happened. I mean, the guy was the ultimate uh, wrestling champion. I mean, he looked the part. He lived the part. He is the part. And uh, we're all we're all thinking of him. Uh, yeah, I know he uh, he underwent surgery and he's got uh, he made it through it. And uh, we know one thing about Ric Flair: he is uh, an incredible fighter. And uh, our thoughts and prayers uh, with his family, and of course, Rick. And I think if there's anybody you know who can pull through something like this, it's Ric Flair. Yeah, and, and millions and millions of people around the world are pulling for this guy. You know, I, I saw it on Fox News and CNN, breaking story yeah. about Rick. I mean, it's amazing the fans he's got throughout the whole world, and hopefully all those positive thoughts will help him pull through. Yeah, and you talk about some of these personalities that have really put pro wrestling into the mainstream of entertainment and sports uh, we had it mentioned in our sportscast uh, yesterday, uh, his, you know, his situation right now. So, you know, he, he is, as you mentioned, known around the world and a lot of people praying for him that he, he gets through this. Yeah. Transcends wrestling. He's bigger than a pro wrestler. He's uh, Ric Flair. Yep. Enough said on that. He's, he's Ric Flair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once again, folks, I just want to remind you that we uh, love to hear from you. Uh, you can contact us through email. We'd love to hear uh, from you there because I know a lot of times in these short things with Twitter, you can't uh, get in all the information you want to. You can email us at primetimemlw at primetimemlw. And, uh, oh, that's our, uh, rather, that's our Twitter handle, uh, Jim, at primetimemlw. And, of course, you can email us at primetime at mlw.com. P-T-H-N-M. Okay. It does sound like a disease, doesn't it? Uh, no. BTHM. It's not a disease, but it's contagious, brother. Oh! And it's something you want to catch. Yeah, hopefully. Right? Yeah. All right, there's several ways you can uh, get the podcast, iTunes, and, of course, all those other uh, outlets out there, whatever you'd like to do. We'd love to hear from you. iTunes, uh, you can subscribe, give us a rating, if you will. And, of course, at uh, mlwradio.com. Jim, once again, we had a poll out this week featuring three topics. Oh. Two we brought back, and, and I, I just don't know why uh, folks haven't given us this one yet. I'm hoping they will soon. Legends House, and uh, to get the experiences you had with that. Also, we put the WBF on there, the World Bodybuilding Federation, and Survivor Series. <laughs> Did anybody yeah, vote for that? A <laughs> couple a of bodybuilders. Lou Ferrigno was pushing on it, maybe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're, you're right. There's a, that's a really good point, but it is a great sorry, story. You no, know, but it's really a great story. I hope one day we get to do it because... Uh, I'm not sorry. Of course you're not. But uh, there's a lot of, as I love to say, uh, a lot of backstories. and Backstabbing, too. Yeah, you know it. Uh, but uh, the folks want to hear about Survivor Series 1987, and uh, that won by 44% of the vote this week. So we're going to get to our main event. 
But before we do, you always know I like to take you off the tracks here a little bit, Jim. Uh, and and uh, recently there has been... There we go. There it is. Ryan, you got to get on the ball there a little bit, brother. Yeah. You missed that train, kid. You should hit the buzzer for yourself. <laughs> yeah, but I wanted to talk about this. Is This has been out there, and, and I've had other people contact me about this to try and get my take on it. And uh, there's a wrestler out there named uh, Joey Ryan. Uh, I don't know if you really know anything about this guy, but he's uh, out there on the uh, indie circuit making a lot of appearances. And uh, one of the things he does is what they call the dick spot. It is uh, <laughs> where somebody, the other wrestler, grabs his junk and, it, it, and he shows off the, the great power he has with this. Now, I would have not brought brought this up for any reason other than that there was a recent what do you mean incident. by bringing it up brother <laughs> <laughs> train whistle brian you hit really it would say that yeah uh yeah because we don't want to bring everybody down on this i think brian's reading a book or something we got to pay attention yeah. here <laughs> yeah so anyway uh it there was a recent incident uh involving a, a group called over the top wrestling now they had this joy ryan over in dublin but also, the legend Mick Foley was there and was part of this event. And uh, he was the uh, latest person uh, to run afoul of, uh, as they say, Joey Ryan's angered dong, as they uh, describe it here. Um, Mick Foley had Mr. Sacco on. And the, 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 it was the called Mr. Here. Condom that night. <laughs> One that didn't work very well. I don't know if a sock works that very a lot well. I hear. I'm not sure. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Mick of butts. participated. Yes. Mick participated, participated in this and um, pulled off the dick flip involving Mick Foley. And I don't know. There's video of it on YouTube where these guys all come in and... Uh, there's a group of them to try and rescue Sacco and Mick Foley, who are entwined with this, because apparently once you get locked on, you can't get off. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. Uh, those are stories uh, that, uh, well, anyway. Damn. So these guys all rush in. And Foley took a bump, which is hard to do because he's got that bad shoulder, right? Well, yeah, and the whole group, uh, the way this guy does a movement is that he uh, poses or flexes and the whole, not just, there's like eight of these guys around him and they all flip over. And then Mick, <laughs> they, still they on, then he with... takes a bump. Yes, all at the same time. It's amazing to see. Uh, or maybe he... not. <laughs> yeah. But Well, obviously anyway, we're talking about it and the wrestling world is paying attention to it. So the guy, you know, succeeded in what he was trying to do. Well, he's getting all kinds of bookings for this. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, to me, it's it's kind of a gimmick uh, that, that, that's, that he's getting all this attention. He also does something where he wrestles women and he does uh, what he calls the, the, the boob plex, where he grabs their boobs and does a suplex with them. And... Anyway, to get to the point of all this is that there's been this unbelievable outrage apparently that Rick or that Mick Foley participated in this, uh, including Jim Cornette, who went off and just said this is the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. It's an outrage, and Foley is like, "What are you t really? I, I, 
of all the things I've done in my career, this is what's going to get me blacklisted, losing friendships. Uh, he he also he went on Facebook and he says here I'll, I'll just read some of it. Uh, this is from Facebook Mick Foley's page saying so last last night in Dublin th- this was immediate this reaction there was an incident involving a case of mistake, mistaken identity and a leapfrog that turned an innocent attempt at a mandible claw into something far far more sinister I know Joey Ryan's dick flip hashtag on that has divided the wrestling community in a way we previously thought only John Cena or Roman Reigns Roman Reigns could do <laughs> it has become the IWC equivalent of the Trump Hillary election. Anyway, eating friendships, even turning brother against brother, son against daddy. It's quite possible Jim Cornette will never speak to me again seeing this photo that he had put up. A solid 28-year friendship over in a matter of seconds. So why, you may ask, I participate in such a potentially divisive penile palming? (laughs) The answer is simple. Look at the smiles. Look, just look at the smiles. Then he goes on, uh, Jim, to list... All these different things he's done in his career. Uh, you know, the WrestleMania moment with Festus and Snoop Dogg wrestling Jonathan Coachman with a leprechaun for a referee, refereeing a bra and panties match, uh, returning to WWE after three years to do This Is Your Life with John Cena that was intentionally bad, uh, playing Twister with Vince McMahon. He goes and goes and, and goes and names all these things. And really, think about it, Jim. And of all the things we have seen in the WWF, WWE over the years. I don't know where you could put this as being the most heinous act ever witnessed in a ring. What kind of act was it? What is your... Huh? Heinous act. Heinous. Oh, heinous. Yeah, remember sorry. I told you I, I missed those you. five <laughs> words? <laughs> I think you said, uh, well, never mind. No, I, I, I agree with Foley. I mean, come on. Uh, I think uh, Cornette's probably sitting there going, geez, look at this. Let me think what I can do with this. Hmm. I can't believe what Foley did. He took a dick bump. What the hell? I can't believe that son of a gun. He's the end of our friendship. I mean, Come on, Cornette, you know, it's wrestling. And uh, like I said, so many other things go on. I think he's just trying to, you know, capitalize on the the, the steam that Foley's got going with it, you know. And equal yeah, rights is just on. a matter of time before a girl's out there doing some kind of hold. <laughs> yeah. Well, come on, like May Young gave birth to a hand, okay? Uh, really. Uh, that's, <laughs> I mean, remember the fish, the fish match uh, with the fishes, and they had oh. them all. I mean, come on! I mean, like, I really, this a, is the worst. A blindfolded battle royal before. I mean, but that was that was actually pretty good. But uh, yeah, yeah I, this thing, this. I mean, wrestling will survive anything. The business is bigger than any one or bigger than any angle, and uh, you know, this is you know. Not what I would pay to go see, but I think obviously the guy that's doing it, Joey Ryan, is, is succeeding in what he's trying to do is get his name out there, get it bookings, and he's getting bookings. And after he gets done with this, he can move on to the porno realm. You know, yeah. I mean, he's working right into it. Well, and then as far as it affecting the business or you know dragging it down, uh, oh, what is your on. take on that? Because oh, I think that that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drag the business down. I mean, it's it's the business, and there's been silly, crazy things that's happened. This may be a little more extreme than usual, but what we're doing is giving it more life than it should have. I think you know. I think most people would, you know. Don't well, I, I just did. 
So, <laughs> right? Well, Ryan will be sending you a payoff here pretty soon, brother. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, people are talking about it, and that's that's kind of the, the that's business. The, that's you know? the business, man. You know, it, whatever it takes. And obviously, that that's something new. But I can't see that being a 30-year career, you know. That'd be hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's a T-shirt. Yeah. I think so. Okay, moving along uh, from that, I don't know how we recover, but uh, I think that we we covered it as, as uh, covered it up as much as we could. Thank but God. But I think uh, I think Mick Foley's career is going to be fine too. Yeah, by yeah, the way, yeah, I think Mick survived that. Cornette, maybe not. <laughs> no, take okay, it easy, so- Jimmy. Oh, son of a gun, Duggan. I've had it with you. <laughs> Well, uh, it was as we attempt to move along here to get closer to our main event, uh, we do need some backstory on this and, uh, and intrigue um, because the event we're going to be talking about, Survivor Series 1987, had a lot going on with it. If you go back in your time machine here, uh, the, the WWF was in its initial uh, really starting to climb as far as the, the, in the broadcast industry and, and uh, becoming a mainstream uh, entertainment vehicle. And uh, the, at that point in time, not only was the, you know, they would have the shows on television, but the house shows were the big drive for income. And with WrestleMania, that opened a whole new door. And there, there was a few pay-per-view events, uh, you know, uh, WrestleMania three and uh, the, the uh, this pay-per-view event was also one of the first because up until then they'd done closed circuit television. Now, folks will remember closed circuit television. Uh, it was you know a private screening. Basically, you'd go to a movie theater or somewhere that uh, would get this this signal, and you would pay money and you'd go. Well, pay-per-view, you didn't even have to leave the house with cable, and Vince McMahon saw the the wonder of this and the the uh, chance for a great income from that. Uh, although it wasn't, uh, you know, if the, the, the first real pay-per-view event, and this has kind of surprised me doing the research on it, it happened in 1975, and it was a boxing match. It was the, uh, the Thrilla and Manila, if you remember, between Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier. It also appeared on, uh, was transmitted on, uh, on, through HBO. HBO was also, you know, one of the new cable channels out there. And uh, that was really the kind of the birth of all this as it, it started to go. But Vince McMahon certainly took it and, and ran with it. And uh, they were able to, you know, not only make money from folks showing up to see the event, but people were willing to pay money to see it in, in their home. And they would, uh, you know, with pay-per-view. And uh, this was really the beginning of the empire, really. This is when it really started to take off. So anyway, in that year, 1987, when they came up with the, the with the Survivor Series that was going to be, you know, soon become part of the big four that they would do uh, every year, um, the NWA was also experimenting. They had done closed-circuit television with their events, with Jim Crockett Promotions, and they decided they were going to do, uh, they had a Thanksgiving event that they did, Starcade, but this was going to be their first venture into pay-per-view. And Vince McMahon saw that this was not good. This was going to be severe competition. Well, at this point, the WWF had become very established as far as, uh, you know, with WrestleMania and the kind of numbers they could do in these uh, cable systems. 
that Vince actually said, you know what, if you carry to a lot of these these cable systems, if you carry uh, Starcade, um, I will not only not allow you to have our future events, but you won't get WrestleMania. And a lot of these um, cable networks, Jim, caved. And uh, I don't know if you remember how big the NWA was at the time, but, uh, you know, as far as competition, it was it was pretty big, didn't you think? I mean, N- NWA certainly gave him a run. Well, it just shows what a master Vince McMahon is. I mean, he sees this thing just starting to blossom. He crushes it right away. He doesn't give it a chance to start to grow and get bigger. I mean, he goes right against it, tells the cable companies, hey, if you want WrestleMania, don't carry their show. I mean, talk about a dog-eat-dog business, and Vince is the big dog there. you got to uh, appreciate, uh, respect a, a businessman that, like that. I mean, he, you know, later on in, in the, as WCW took off, he took on uh, Ted Turner and put him to shame. I mean, like or hate Vince McMahon, you got to respect him as a businessman. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I'm going to have to, when we really get into this event, because I hadn't joined the WWF at that point. I would not until 1988, in that uh, the spring of 1988. But um, I was very aware of how cable was exploding at the time. And, you know, working in New York and, and how the networks kind of laughed it all off. They thought cable was a joke and that it wasn't going to last. They're like, you know, who, who needs all those channels? They're not going to want, you know, 500 channels. <laughs> and, uh, and and Jim, also, they didn't understand just how, um, how much there was, how many opportunities they were to use cable, to use that system. Because everything at that point, you know, was over the air. You had the antennas in the house and uh, it was free over the air. Well, cable brought all these, you know, opportunities that they could bring these events and charge people for that specific event which was was brilliance i mean that uh, and and vince you know like i said played his trump card uh no pun intended there it was that's good buddy but <laughs> that was invoking good, you know clause where none of these cable companies could carry another wrestling event within 30 days of his now that was already written into this contract but then he stepped it up because he saw what nwa might do and uh, definitely he and it worked, but uh, you know they were not only you know uh, making money in these house shows. Um, they had a good like WrestleMania three. They had a yeah, go ahead. They had a good card down there too, Sean, didn't they? I think Flair was still down there with NWA at that time, correct? I think uh, yeah. you were saying they were the main. Oh yeah, it was. It was yeah, it was big. It was a so big they time had good event. Good on the card down there. I mean, it could have been huge competition. Yeah, and it and it certainly was you know, because that, they were. They were pushing things. And, and, they and were that was another thing. When you, you know. do interviews, remember Vince would not even mention, don't ever mention the competition. Don't say we're better than them. They're doing horrible. You just don't mention them. They don't exist. Yeah. Yeah. And and they, that's exactly right. And uh, Give them zero air time. Yeah. Until the uh, the 90s when that, uh, you know, uh, everything happened. Um, but that's the truth. And, and, and they... Hello. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> JY just came still by. Still there, Jim? <laughs> still there. <laughs> let, tell JYD to go up into the uh, living room. He'll be up in a few <laughs> One of my hours. best friends, God bless him, old <laughs> JYD. Junkyard dog. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to this, uh, you know, that uh, this was one of those events that, that Vince was really willing to take a stand on. And... Uh, Thank goodness it turned out to be a, a pretty good event. 
but a lot of these cable companies backed off and um there was something like 325,000 buys for the Survivor Series, which was very, very big at the time, as far as you talk about the numbers. And uh, Crockett's program, because there were some systems that carried it, but paled by comparison. And, um, you know, I think it certainly contributed to eventually um, having it end up to where it did. And uh, it was, uh, you know, something that he was, definitely intent on doing and, and I think he really saw it was like a, a line in the sand to try and control you know the the business at the time and he, he was very successful at it uh, they were asking you know people to spend some money on these and uh, you know at the time it was a lot of money for someone to, to spend so a lot of money for just to watch a show that most folks would see for free they would think you know but of course back then if you wanted to see the top guys wrestle you had to see him at a pay-per-view. At how at TV shows, you'd just be out there with a job guy and go out there and get yourself over and a squash job in two or three minutes. And the, it would just be squash job after squash job after squash job. And then to see the two top guys wrestle each other, boom, you'd have to go watch the pay-per-view. Yeah, absolutely. And and to, to, to wrap this up as far as the pay-per-view goes, um, I just really wanted to make that point that Vince McMahon really uh, is somebody who was a visionary with pay-per-view. And it, even when people talk about the history of pay-per-view, they cannot uh, leave Vince McMahon out of that conversation. And now it has become the mainstay with how events are, are presented. And as uh, you know, we are seeing that with the upcoming uh, Mayweather-McGregor fight. Yeah. But just as not, he, just see, not, he saw no. then... Yeah, just not in pay-per-views. He was a visionary in, in sports entertainment yeah. and just uh, entertainment in general. I mean, take it worldwide like he did, crush the competition. I mean, you know, you'd yeah. always hope... And, and, and as they move forward... Oh, yeah. Go ahead, Jim. I was going to say, you know, if sooner or later you'd think somebody come up with a number two, you know, for every Hertz, there's an Avis. And, of course, back in the Monday Night Wars, people loved that competition. You'd like to see another company come up. You know, you're not really going to compete with the WWE, but offer an alternative that folks have something else to watch. Because Impact Wrestling, they just weren't carrying the load. And hopefully out there somewhere there'll be a, a number two and, and folks will have some, uh, just at least an alternative to watch. And yeah, plus, well, also, we'll, we'll also the boys might have a little bargaining power. I mean, if you're the only game in town, there's not much negotiating you can do. You know, when WCW was around, that was a great time in the WWF because you could no negotiate between Turner and McMahon. Uh, now there's not much negotiating going on. But do you think outfits like Tommy Dreamer is trying to do and these other, can they ever or uh, get to a point where... Sure. They could Tom, even compete again. Tommy Dreamer, I think here there's a guy that really loves the business, is doing everything he can. I think if he gets the right financial backing, he's got the right kind of talent around. Because there's, you know, the world is there's there's only room for so many guys in the WWE. The talent pool is much deeper than what the WWE has. There's a lot of good talent out there, and I think given the opportunity, given the stage to perform on, they could really blossom. And I think Tommy Dreamer, if he got you know, some big backing from some big money guy, uh, he might have a shot. Uh, and and yeah. big time, uh, River City Wrestling, there's a company out in Oklahoma. There's a couple good companies around the country just with the right backing they could take off because there's a lot of talent out there more than that's just in the WWE. 
Yeah, but the toughest thing about it is, is even back then, some of those uh, those big companies had backing uh, going up against Vince, and now the company is just so gigantic that any independent yeah. well, that's outfit, the thing. You, you crush them or buy them. You, right. you don't go up against them. You just offer an alternative. Yeah, you're not going to you know you're not going to compete with WWE. There's no way the worldwide machine that's been going for years can trample you. But at least have a little alternative out there. You know, that would be appealing. I think. But obviously hard to yeah, do because nobody's doing it. Yeah, and now uh, as Vince moves into another era uh, of presenting his product with the WWE Network, uh, it'll be interesting to see how all of these other groups, if they're going to follow him into that, because he's put a lot into the, the network now with all his events. Well, I tell you, that, uh, that network is, if you're a member. has given new life to all my like generation of guys. Teddy, Jake, uh, myself, uh, we're out there. Just people say, oh, I've seen you on the network. Even young kids come up at autograph sessions and Comic-Cons, and they're like, oh, I saw you wrestle uh, so-and-so. And I'm like, how in the world did you see that? On the network. <laughs> so that uh, yeah. actually really helped us. I mean, that was great. Plus, to get the library from Mid-South, Georgia Championship, Texas All-Star, to have all those libraries there, people can really go back and see the early days and see the development of different stars. Yeah. Absolutely. So All right, let's get to the main event. I, 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 was, waiting for, waiting for I was waiting for Brian to hit the train horn there, brother. We're way off the tracks. Get on. There we go. <laughs> All right. As we uh, come into uh, Richfield Coliseum in Richfield Township, Ohio, this is our next stop because we're going to finally get to the main event here. The Survivor Series uh, took place in 1987. It was the first Survivor Series pay-per-view event produced by the WWF, and it happened on Thanksgiving Day. I remember spending uh, many of my Thanksgivings at uh, the Survivor Series after this one uh, because that's what took place. And I tell you what, Jim, I saw some amazing feats of consumption of turkey and other items on this day when I was with the folks from the WWF. Well, you know, <laughs> if, if you're in the wrestling business, uh, holidays, weekends, you're working. You know, when Thanksgiving, most folks were at home enjoying their turkey with the family. The yeah. boys were all on the road. Uh, you know, I've had turkey uh, dinner at Waffle House before back in the day. But uh, you knew that going in. But uh, holidays, it's kind of like being a cop or a fireman. You work when everybody else is off. But i tell you one thing about that Ridgefield, Ohio Coliseum. That had to be one of the hardest buildings in the world to find. I mean, you can understand having trouble finding the Spectrum or the Cow Palace in uh, San Francisco. But you figure Ridgefield, Ohio. But it was, for me anyway, it was a hard, no no GPS, you know. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you're asking for a lot of directions at gas stations no, on the way in. You could pull up. I'd be driving. I have a 400-pound ball-headed guy sitting next to me, a hot blonde and a midget in the back seat. You know, We'd pull up and go, hey, excuse me, excuse me, hey, excuse me. The guy just don't look at him. Keep walking, keep walking. You go by the cops, they just pull you over. Okay, what the hell's going on in this car? <laughs> Yeah, they they get the vice squad for that. Bring them over. I think that was a shot, Mooney. I'm marking that down as a shot. (laughs) Okay. I'm way ahead in points here, aren't I? Oh, keep you keeping (laughs) score too, huh? All right. Okay. Be good to see uh, you one day, Sean. It'll be really, really good to see you. (laughs) That's going to be a a long afternoon for me. (laughs) 
Well, the uh, 21,300 people did find their way to the uh, Richfield Coliseum that day. As I mentioned, uh, folks at home, a buy rate of 325,000. Wow. Uh, and they went uh, up against Jim Crockett Promotions Starcade, which was their first pay-per-view. But uh, Vince, as we mentioned, uh, pretty much successfully ruined that Thanksgiving for them. Uh, that event uh, called Shy town Heat. Uh, yeah, they the got dirty. a lot of heat from Vince McMahon. Uh, anyway, though, it was it was uh, a really interesting event to watch because uh, it it and I'll get into this as we as we move along here, but uh, it it was really an interesting uh, view from from looking at it after being involved in so many other productions with the WWF. This was early on, Jim, and and uh, I'll talk about some of the things I've noticed, but where they were really just uh, coming together on how to put these productions uh, to present them to people on pay-per-view. And it, it, I was just shocked looking at some of the, how amateurish and, and a lot of the stuff looked because now even, you know, just a few years after, everything was just so tight and crisp and music and boom and cues were right there. And this was just amazing to me on how my, how many things were off with this one. Well, that's a, there's and a learning curve, you know. Like, there's a learning yes. curve to it, and it was actually pretty steep. And, of course, a, a guy like you got a pretty critical eye for it, too, because you know the business, you know what you're looking for. But uh, back then, yeah, it was kind of a little uh, scrappy, but it came together and, and the show worked. But now it is a slick production. Oh, yeah, and it a- absolutely is. And that's what I, uh, like I said, when I was watching it, because it it would become the solid unit, a precision machine, you know, with <laughs> Kevin Dunn and Kerwin. You know, you know Kerwin Selfies is the director who's, uh, you know, directed so many of those events. And I was like, I, were these guys there? You know, because, um, you know, cues were off, shots were late, you know, the audio was not mixed right, you know, mocks, uh, the mics were potted down too early, and that was all within the first five minutes of the broadcast. <laughs> I mean, I was just, wow. They, uh, you know, they had, uh, you know, they went to uh, the guys coming in, and, and uh, they went to an interview with Gene Okerlund, and his mic wasn't up, and then it was, the mix was terrible, they had too much crowd, uh, you know, it was, they, they cue, uh, cue Howard Finkel, a gorilla still talking, you know. It was just, it was, well, you know, uh, they're, they're, it was just interesting look at, to see. The other way, also, uh, Sean, is a great example of how hard it is to put something like that on. I mean, what a production! I, I know back in the day, remember uh, NYPD Blue, the TV show, used to be make a big deal out of going live. I'm like, we go live yeah. all the time. What the hell are you talking about? And I mean, uh, well, it, it shows uh, exactly how hard it is to put a production like that on. And, of course, now you look at it, it, it is actually looks like it's running real smooth, but it's always kind of crazy backstage. I, I know back in the day, sometimes I'd be right there before I go through the curtain. I'd hide my two-by-four, and i go, oh. Where's my two by four? I can't find my two by four. And have four yeah. or five guys in the headset. Duggan, Duggan, we need a two by four for Duggan. We need- <laughs> oh, I found it, fellas. Calm down, you know. They did no sense. Yeah, of but but it says as Vince used to say in those meetings, you know, nothing can go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. And and you you know you talked about before when you know at the Slammies when you were you know involved in that uh, big brawl, right? And you guys went through the door too early. And I'll bet anybody at home had no idea because that team is so sharp that they can adjust, boom, just like that. Of course, me and Harley but didn't have a I had fun either. watching this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I had fun watching this because it, it wasn't like that in, at, at, by any means. It, it was, uh, 
it looked very much like a lot of the stuff that we saw, you know, growing up with these, you know, studios and uh, dark, you know, dingy looking shots. And, and that's, you know, you could tell that this, this precision team was just coming together. I agree. <laughs> so let's get to the first matchup, which you can tell me about uh, with uh, Honky Tonk Man. You're part of the, the Honky team. Uh, Honky Talk Man, Hercules, King Harley Race, uh, Dangerous Danny Davis, and Outlaw Ron Bass were on that team that you went up against because you were with the Macho Man Randy Savage, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, Jake Roberts, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat was the one who rounded that out, and of course, you. So uh, take us into this one a little bit, Jim, as a, a, a leading up to this event and then how uh, it came together that you were with this team. Yeah, and talk about, I mean, pretty much everybody that was on the roster was at this pay-per-view. You know, a lot of times you, it's hard to get yeah. on a pay-per-view, but they had, two, uh, like, I think they said 50 or something amount of uh, superstars there. So it was great. And if, if you look at my team, uh, you know, Randy and Jake, Steamboat, well, Beefcake and me, I don't know, but, you know, that was... <laughs> I mean, we had a great team right off the bat. And Honky Tonk, Hercules, Dangerous Danny, Ron Bass. I mean, if I was a bet man, I think I would have picked us on that team too. But uh, it, it was a, actually a long match, you know. And uh, I think we yeah. were longer matches. We were five on five Survivor Series. Miss Elizabeth was there, Jimmy Hart. And, you know, that like we talked before, all these guys are top-of-the-line pros out there. So with that many guys in the ring, it still came across really smooth and came the, the, the uh, result was exactly what we wanted. It wasn't one of those mix-ups like uh, uh, the Slammy Awards. I appreciate you bringing that up too, Mooney, but that's another story. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, yeah. things went smooth in that match for a change. <laughs> Well, and it was it was that you know it was a really good match. They had, as you mentioned, the the uh, the roster for this event was was incredible. I mean, you had a you know you had the ten man uh, you know tag team battle. You had twenty superstars out there, uh, and and there was only there were only four matches in this uh, well, this whole event, and one of them was a women's match. But this, like you said, this one was a long match, but it it moved along really well. And, um, and you and everybody had a feud going on. It seemed like right, this, which also gave up. people yeah. a lot of reason to be in. Yeah, uh, you remember at that time. I mean, I know you were, uh, had something going with with Harley Race, King Harley Race. Um, you know, and then you you had uh, you know Randy Savage uh, with the Honky Tonk Man, and you know just there was just a lot going on in this. Yeah, it, so it made it made for a good matchup. It made for a good matchup, and it came across good. And of course, when you're the opening match too, you really want to kick off the show right, so everybody's out there flying around doing what they can. And uh, it, it came across with that many guys. Usually, something screws up. I'm sure something did. I don't remember, but overall, I think it came across smooth and uh, one of the few times. <laughs> yeah. Now, because they had so many of these, uh, you know, they had a lot of these storylines going on, and and uh, many of these things were going to go on beyond this event. They kept, you know, some of the stuff going. Uh, did did it involve more, uh, you know, setup for this than, uh, you know, say the, the as we saw last week, the, you know, the the Royal Rumble to do a, a, a match? Yeah, like this, this this was more involved than the Royal Rumble. It sure was. Actually, the uh, a Royal Rumble is not that bad because you just got to remember. You know who's going out before you, right. or who's putting you out, and something like this. There's probably spots involved with at least 
two or three of your opponents, your partners out there. So you got to do those spots. Plus, you got to remember the finish. And was that this a match like this is much, much more involved than the Royal Rumble? Yeah, and so I mean, specifically with you and, and Harley, and I know you like to work with him. He was, uh, you know, a great performer. Um, but uh, could you walk us through a little bit to how that went down? I mean, I could. I, I, the way it really happened is that. Uh, you know, you go to town on uh, Harley and, and uh, you guys, it was, you know, like you were both counting out like four minutes and 30 seconds into this thing. But man, you guys had a, had a nice little brawl going. You end up outside of the ring after you clothesline them. Um, that was, uh, the, what do you remember of that that match? I always said, you know, I've, I've had easier street fights and lost than working with Harley. <laughs> I tell you, things were pretty live out there and he never griped about getting potatoed and he didn't mind potatoing your back it it was believable stuff you know with harley out there even at that stage i mean he was late and later in his career and his bump over the top rope it's kind of a legendary kind of a uh, a way you you learn to take a bump over the top rope harley takes that bump and of course uh, i enjoy working with a man a legend like that anytime and the only thing though when i got harley's crown it was like a bushel basket. The guy's head so huge, the crown would sit on yeah, my. They told me they never gave you. A <laughs> no, they never, they never gave, got a fitting. Yeah, they gave Macho a nice new crown, office guy. Uh, <laughs> no, but no. he he wore it a little longer though, didn't he? Yeah, was that another shot, Moody? You're really pushing at this <laughs> show, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, hey, it's easy to do when you're thousands of miles away, right? You know, I'll pull a hamstring if I get off the chair too quick, so you're all set, yeah. brother. <laughs> yeah, but that that was, uh, even though it ended quickly, uh, that was, uh, it was fun to see. And Because I always think now when I watch you, uh, especially against somebody like Harley Race, that you said, you know, all that stuff was, you know, with the pounding you took in there, as long as you weren't taking out somebody's uh, nose or, you know, hitting them where you weren't supposed to, that was... That, that was that uh, thing was pretty, pretty, pretty live. And you th- you know you look at it and say well that wasn't that long but when you're out there throwing heavy stuff, I mean you're throwing as hard as you can at Harley and he's fighting back with you. It seems like a month out there. I'll tell you. You come back there like tax. Yeah, well, a beautiful red tie you have on. I said that's not a tie. It's my tongue <laughs> hanging out. No <laughs> kidding, man. Anyway, you you were uh, in and out pretty quickly. That wasn't uh, quick, Tony. Uh, knock it off. Yeah. <laughs> well, four minutes and thirty three seconds, but it was a damn good four minutes and thirty. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Boom, boom. <laughs> but, but, but that was great, though. I mean, you, you, you know, we were the uh, first matches in this in this event, and it was another you know premier premier event for uh, the W the WWF. Uh, so you were you were getting. Uh, a, a big push from this company at the time. Yeah, I sure was. I, uh, you know, at that, that time in my career, they were really kind of grooming me, I thought, maybe for a world champion spot down the road. But uh, it never worked out, which is okay. But, uh, yeah, I was happy with the way they were pushing me, that's for sure. I, I can never complain about not getting the opportunity with WW. Yeah, now also going on in this ring at the same time was a, a very, uh, you know, heated feud between – uh, Macho Man Randy Savage and the Honky Tonk, and this was coming off uh, a Saturday night's main event when uh, Honky Tonk shoves Elizabeth to the mat, and then ends uh, ends up uh, smashing a guitar over uh, Macho's head. Uh, 
that you know you look back at that and i i know that, that this is part of the storyline but it could not have been easy for randy to watch uh honky tonk <laughs> it was probably easier for uh, randy than it ended well. up being for honky tonk <laughs> you thought me and harley yeah. get beat each other up i think <laughs> Macho just beat the hell out of honky tonk but yeah because everybody knows how much was about liz i mean he was you know f- almost fanatical about her he kept her locked away he loved her so much and I mean, did somebody yeah. put their but hands on But what was it like her? between those two? What was it like between Honky and, well, and Savage? Well, Honky, uh, you know, Honky is a, a good wrestler, but he's more a, a gimmick guy than he is a wrestler, where, yeah. where Macho was probably one of the best wrestlers there ever was. And uh, they, they matched up together well because, uh, you know, uh, Macho could work with anybody. And Honky, he was he's a good hand. I'm not saying he's not a good hand, but I think he's more a gimmick guy than a wrestler. So... And like you said, that matchup kept going even after the pay-per-view. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it certainly did. And I'll tell you but what. You never heard of anything about Honky real yeah. quick. A little uh, off-track deal, so leave it alone, Brian. But uh, anyway, Honky with that guitar, you know, when he hit people with guitars, that's actually very, very dangerous. When I was with the WWE yeah. and working with uh, Santino Morella, he came and he hit me with a guitar and the strings, they didn't loosen up the strings of the guitar, and the, the string came back and cut his lip right, looked like a hair lip, all the way down to his teeth, his upper lip. I mean, it was a bad, bad injury oh, wow. just for not loosening up the strings. So that was honky. You know, he carried a guitar so much, he knew enough to loosen up the strings, and, uh, you know, that's just a mark of a professional, not a, uh, you know, where you don't have a... Uh, a squad of guys, uh, prop squad, taking care of things like a rubber two by four. Yeah. Now, what about uh, loosening up the back of that thing? Oh yeah, yeah. They loosen up the back of it too, brother. Yeah, you. Because uh, <laughs> I mean, some of those you have to wonder sometimes. Well, I mean, you know, they loosen. They tell you they loosen it up. It depends who was getting it, right? Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> we loosen it up real good for you. <laughs> But do you remember at all with, with this angle, like that Saturday night's main event uh, altercation, was uh, how Randy was uh, felt about it, or was it? I'm just, not sure. You know, we, okay, this is what we refresh my memory about the altercation on Saturday night. Well, that's where they, you know, they have the, the showdown, and, and uh, you know, oh, so that's where he pushed her. Goes, yeah, when he shoves her down, and that that's what started really, you know. Escalated this. Thing. Yeah, oh, and, and Hockey's and, uh, been. So he certainly had a reason. And Hockey's been around the business, you know. So he realized shoving Liz down was going to be money deal. So he's not going to hand her with kid gloves. I bet. I bet he shoved her down. You know, she she's one of the boys. She's a worker. She's got to be able to take a little bit of a bump. And I don't think Honky would treat her with kid gloves when he shoved her down. I bet it looked believable, which probably even infuriated uh, Macho more. If yeah. possible, <laughs> and, and you know it's, it's interesting to look back at that now. Though is that and he, after I talk about a guy who's uh, doing boob plexes, but uh, you can't really get away with that uh, 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 these days, as far as touching women and and uh, you know back then it seemed like it was a lot more acceptable. Yeah, well, I mean, just imagine uh, Ralph Crampton on uh, you know, the honeymoon. Bang, zoom to the moon, Alice. I mean, you yeah. can't, uh, that's yeah. a different society nowadays. Yeah, I don't know. Of course, you got women wrestling each other and stuff. So in the business, I think you may have a little more leeway than in a lot of arenas. 
Yeah, but you wonder if that, uh, especially with somebody like Elizabeth, Liz who, was a you know, tiny little girl, like, such an innocent tiny. I, yeah, I, so right. you could you could bruise Liz up by yelling at her. You know, she was such a petite uh, young woman. I mean, uh, she really was. That the part she played was who she was. That's why it worked. Yeah. Well, this and you talked about this matchup that it really you know was a it was a good match. I enjoyed watching it. Um, it all comes down to you know honky tonk against three the three men that he'd had you know issues with that past year pretty much with you know Jake and Steamboat even and then Savage and uh, you know they go to town on him because uh, honky tonk is the only one left when it gets down to it um, and uh, he uh, ends up sending honky out of the ring Randy Savage does has a double axe handle and then you know hits him with an t- atomic drop and then he's out of the ring and Honky Tonk just bolts. He's done, and he he leaves, and uh, he gets counted out. And I think people were still happy about it. I mean, that crowd still went crazy, uh, but that was the finish. It's kind of an anticlimactic finish, you know. I mean, just uh, the yeah. crowd was after all that. But you know, that that's got to be hard to come up with something new. But uh, every finish, but that should have been it would seem like a little hotter finish than that if all three of them were in the ring. I, Actually, me and Harley were still fighting at that time backstage. You just didn't see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. Looking for the door you're supposed to knock down, right? <laughs> but, it, but, it's, but it really is. But that did leave the door open for him to you know, have issues with any of these guys, yeah, that, uh, literally. That, yeah, that, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. He could go in any direction with anybody. And, and Honky was that kind of a talent. He, you know, he could work with any three of those guys would be good matches. I, uh, All right, and then we move on. Uh, we move on to the women's survivor match. And as I said, there were only four matches that were part of this event, and they had a women's survivors match. Uh, the headline on this for this this matchup was you know that Sensational Sherry had uh, defeated Fabulous Moolah for the women's title in Houston that previous July. So they put this these teams together. And I don't didn't know a lot of them, but uh, I I know that a lot of them were you know very renowned women wrestlers. Uh, uh, Donna Christianello, the Glamour Girls, yeah, well, them, uh, Rock and Leila Robin, and I, uh, yeah. Kai and Judy Martin, yeah, right. Rock and yeah. Robin and uh, Velvet McIntyre. Velvet's been around quite a bit, uh, and of course Rock and Robin is uh, Jake Robertson, uh, uh, Sam Houston's uh, half sister. Sister, mm-hmm. yeah. Right, um, but so that and then Don Marie was the other one who was part of that team uh, with Sensational Sherry, and then the fabulous Mula was there as along with, as you mentioned, Velvet McIntyre, Rock and Robin, and the Jumping Bomb Angels, Nario Tatino and Itsuki Yamazaki. Very good, <laughs> and uh, they were yeah, but they were uh, you know a high flying team, but I you know I I wanted I was kind of thinking how I. Present would present this match, Jim, because if you think, yeah, you look at the divas they have today. <laughs> That's brutal when you say the glamour girls not there with uh, Lonnie Kai and Judy Martin. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know well, that's that's the old joke, you know, because now all the girls are young, beautiful divas. They're right out of uh, Playboy oh Playmate goodness, uh, magazine yeah. and stuff. So, you know, we're out having dinner the other night, and the guy asked my wife. He says, "Aren't you worried about Jim being around?" All those young, beautiful divas. My wife said, "No, 
<laughs> you Thanks, kidding? Man. You can't be a little worried. But yeah, I mean, uh, a different business. Those girls like Sherry and Velvet McIntyre, those girls, Lilani Kai, they were physical, tough women. I mean, they were your stereotype lady lady wrestlers. You know, back in the day, you'd say, oh, she's like a lady wrestler. That was kind of a derogatory term. Nowadays, you know, she's like a lady wrestler means she's a diva. But back then, they were lady wrestlers. They were tough, tough women. They could probably kick a lot of guys' butts, that's for sure. Yeah, and but when you compare them to today, as far as the wrestling... Uh, Different type of wrestling, gym. too. Yeah, but you see the women today, and as you mentioned, many of them are really—they're supermodel-looking women. And, you know, they're very, very, very attractive. Do you see the? How, how does the product compare as far as what they do in the? Well, ring? I think I think the trend has gone over to the women that has gone to the guys a lot more high flying. You know, you know, back in the day, you had Superfly, Super uh, Jimmy Snook up on the top rope. Now everybody's up on the top rope flying. You know, back then I think the women were more brawlers. I mean, they you know have a hold here and there, maybe a bear hug or something. But there was a lot of chopping and punching going on too, hair pulling. Where now the girls, boom, they're up on the top rope. They're doing some real athletic moves. And as I said, with the, the, the guys nowadays, I think they're probably more athletic and more professional than our generation. The same goes for the women. Maybe not as original as our group, but the, as athletes and, and business folks, I think the, the men and women are a little more professional. Yeah, and uh, they certainly, uh, a lot of these matchups, I mean, I've, I've watched the, the current product and those women go at it and they do some uh, incredible incredible stuff a lot of, uh, a lot of people come there. up you know and uh, say hey you know the women's division the diva division uh, that's what they enjoy the uh, the the television show the, the diva show is extremely popular I mean uh, and you know they're, they're good to look at who doesn't mind looking at a pretty girl yeah and in this matchup uh, it's interesting that it didn't come down to this battle between uh, Sherry, Sensational Sherry, and Moolah. I mean, they were both eliminated in this. Well, Moolah's, and I think that the point she, uh, she yeah, had to be up what? there pretty good at that time. I mean, you know, she's still. It's like me. People say you still wrestle hacksaw. I said, well, I still go to the ring. I don't know if you'd call it wrestling, and that was probably how it was yeah. with Moolah. She went down to the ring there, and uh, you know, but she put Sherry over. That was a huge passing the torch from Moolah to Sherry. That was big. Yeah, and and it paved to you know started the road for Sensational Sherry and, and the career that she ended up with, uh, but they were both eliminated in this, and it ends up that it's uh, Judy Martin and the uh, the Angels, the uh, Chap- the flying Chap- uh, bomb, yeah, Angels in this matchup, and uh, so I think that the point of us was was to introduce some of this new talent. Uh, they it seemed as they had big plans for uh, the jumping bomb Angels in the WWF and uh that's they certainly got a, a big push in this one and they you know that this match was rated pretty high uh you know from the critics who I don't think were expecting to have that kind of a show and especially on a big card like this well it's hard I never in my career looked at the critics so they always blast me too much so you know everybody's yeah. got an opinion of the match but like I agree with you that they they brought the girls over because that was the start of the flying stuff the Japanese girls were starting to fly a little bit before the American girls 
and bringing them over. Uh, I thought they were, like I said, we're giving them push. And who knows why it didn't work? Because they were kind of giving the ball. You know, there could have been you know professional reasons, but it also could have been personal reasons. Going over Japan is hard for us, for those Japanese folks, to come over here for long periods. It's, it's hard to be away from their family. So who knows uh, why it didn't work? But they did take a good look at them. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, this this uh, pay per view was. Um, you know, the, the actual broadcast of it was, you know, clearly somewhere around three hours long. Uh, they shortened it up in the network and was, was somewhere around 240 something. But you could tell they cut a lot of stuff out. And I mean, just like jump cuts, Jim, with See, stuff. I whole told you my match went out. much longer. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Forget the they 433. But, but they did. And in between these matches, it was just. You know, like I said, I'm talking about the crispness of the product that you that you would see just within years of this one, but they would take big long breaks between these, and they had you know they'd go back for these interviews, and um, you know, like I said, I wasn't there. It, it looked like they were doing live because I think some of them they would have done over again <laughs> because they were just all over the place. But uh, Craig DeGeorge, who was there before I was, um, uh, did these interviews. Uh, Craig. Mina Verney, who is, uh, you know, a, a sports commentator and uh, personality down in Florida. But anyway, he was there before I was, and he was conducting these interviews. He went by the name of Craig DeGeorge for these. And uh, they they had, you know, like, all these people. They would have, you know, these tag teams in there. But like I said, the audio was just really bad. They had they must have had other microphones in the room, and then he had a stick mic. But they and they wanted everybody to be pumped up, but you could barely hear what they were talking about, and it just, you know, I mean, I understand the the chaos, and you want to create that, but it was as from a production standpoint, yeah. it's just well, like putting wow. that many wrestlers in a shot anyway, trying to get anything in because everybody wants to get their stuff in. Everybody's on a pay per view. Everybody wants. To, I want to get my line in, you know. So everybody's talking over each other. Um, but like you said, that was a, a learning curve, and it's definitely improved. And, uh, of course, Vince McMahon, he's a taskmaster. I'm sure he looked at that show and said, this is not what I want. And, and Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, the overall, you know, just the, the whole look of it, too. I mean, as you see today, you know, the lighting is incredibly important. It was, and I got an email from uh, a couple of people that were talking about this, uh, you know, why was it so dark in there? Well, because they probably depended on, you know, the arena's lighting. Uh, now when they do stuff, they, they you know, fully light everything. And they light up yeah. the arena. They bring in to make sure it looks right. Uh, you know, the, they have microphones everywhere. And it's just, uh, well, it's a- you know, for the audio to make sure it's right. And you got these professionals that know how to do that stuff. But this, you could see, as I mentioned, this was really the beginning of uh, how this... Uh, unbelievable machine was coming together. Yeah, it was a, 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 a learning experience. I mean, you know, it takes time. How, how long did it take for us to get the right microphone for me on this, Sean? I mean, you know, it, it takes a little while to get it down. And, of course, uh, once he got it down, man, he can produce them probably in his sleep now. Yeah. Well, of course, I think one of the most difficult real, Sean, productions. Those things are extremely high pressure. You talk about being behind that curtain. Man, everybody's on pins and needles. Everybody's on eggshells. Everybody's ready to go. I mean, you got to bring your A game to a pay-per-view or a live TV shoot. I mean, it's it's the big time. Well, and they, uh, as I mentioned, they were doing these interviews for these the the upcoming tag team match. It was a ten-man tag team match wow. on each side. <laughs> so you had five. 
five tag teams. And, no way in hell uh, that came know, off smooth. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, it was actually a pretty good match watching it, but the the uh, they had the dream team, uh, you know, the Bolsheviks, Nikolai and Boris Sukov, Nikolai Volkov, Demolition Axe and Smash, uh, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Dino Bravo, and then the Islanders, Haku and, and Tama, and the Hart Foundation when, you know, Jim Neidhart and Bret Hart were heels. Uh, and then uh, they took on uh, Strike Force, which was uh, Rick Martel and Tito Santana, if you remember yep. back then. And they were the tag team champs at this event. Uh, the Rujo brothers, the Killer Bees, yep. remember them? Jim Brunzel and B. What Brian Blair. What a tag Blair. team division. Uh, the British Bulldogs. I know. You know, that's what I was going to say after I introduced these, all these British Bulldogs, the Dynamite Kid, Davy Boy Smith, the Young Stallions, Paul Jim Roma Powers, and Jim Powers, yeah. who were both, you know, something else. And... Uh, you know, and the uh, and the killer bees. As I, did I mention them? Oh, we already got it. okay. So, but at, at that point in time, the WWF. Look at the tag teams yeah. they had uh, in the on the it's roster. Funny that's that seemed to have fallen out of uh, favor with uh, the WWE. I mean, you have tag teams, yeah. but you don't have a tag team division like you did then. I mean, really, just well known teams that been together for a while, you know, uh, Sean and Marty. I mean, uh, you know, guys that were just good tag team, the Nasty Boys. I mean, there was just tag, more tag teams back then. And it's funny, you know, that the uh, the tag teams have kind of drifted in popularity and the women's division has grown. Yeah, well, it's all about what sells, exactly, yeah. right? Uh, and uh, and you've got beautiful women who can really nasty work boys. in the ring. Yeah, okay, I'm with you. Pretty good. <laughs> with all their teeth yeah it actually works that way but these but uh you know the, the, the it would kind of be as the years went on then they would you know uh, reduce the numbers here but all of these tag teams were for the most part were really great performers all the way around i mean i just wonder like how did they make the decisions on what they were going to do with this because I know the Killer Bees were very upset with Vince saying that you know he had promised them that they were going to win the title at some point. But, but you think about all the other talent that they had in the WWF at the time. You know how do you decide who's going to be on top here when you've got the you know the British Bulldogs and the, the Hart Foundation and the Islanders, you know, and the, you know the Demolition was all part of that. And then to follow, you've got you know LOD coming, a Legion of Doom, and just uh, just amazing that uh, the talent they had just with the tag team. Yeah, roster. I can't see the uh, Vince telling the, the the bees that they were going to be world's champions. I mean, I'd never any time I've ever talked to them, when me and Sarge were together, they were talking about us being world champs, but they put it on the straps on LOD. And any time he talked to us about it, he'd be like, we're going to do this, but everything's subject to change. <laughs> so I can never see him telling yeah. the bees, yeah, this is going to happen. And this is going to happen, but everything's subject to change. So uh, there was a change. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But uh, getting back to the, the production value on this, and now you can imagine, you know how difficult it is with the cameras, Jim. You've had them around you in a, at a ring, you know, your whole entire career. But imagine trying to be a, you know, trying to direct this when you've got, 20 guys involved in this as this thing gets started. They're all up on the apron, uh, and you're trying to yeah. get camera and shots. And what a camera crew they have. You know, so back that, then, you know, now they're down there at the Performance Center Orlando, not only do they train, 
train the talent, they're training the camera crew guys too, so they know which angles yep. to get. And those back the back in our day, those camera crew guys learned on the fly. As you were being critical of the show, I'll throw you under the bus there. But <laughs> but uh, those guys, uh, you know, <clears throat> yep. nowadays know one, two, three. This this move's going to happen. We're going to shoot it with that camera. Four, five, six. That move's going to happen. We're going to shoot it with this camera. Back then, those guys just had to kind of have the instinct to be in the right position. Well, and the, you know, and you mentioned that the the school down in Florida that they had, which uh, you know evolved into NXT, um, when they would train the guys down there, they uh, part of their training was not just the ring work; it was also training to know where the cameras were and how to play to the cameras. And they had you know, acting classes. You know, Dusty was down there working with. You know, along with Chris Chambers, they they uh, Terry you know, Taylor down school down there. there yeah, as far as that Terry, one. I knew Terry yeah. in Mid South. He used to keep a journal of finishes and angles and interviews. I mean, the guy was well suited for that position down there, and it's a great idea. The only my only criticism of the the school is that you're getting just one kind of cookie cutter look at deal. You know, back in the day, of course, best case scenario, you'd learn a little bit in Mid South, you'd learn a little bit up in Oregon, you'd learn a little bit in Minnesota, you'd learn. A a whole different from different yeah. kinds of people. Now you're kind of just getting the same outlook. Uh, but I think it's a you know if you want to make it in the business, that's you got to go through NXT. You got to go through the Performance Center in Orlando. Now what yeah. a facility, Sean? Yeah, that's it's come a long way. Have you happened to been life. down there, Sean? Have you? It, I mean, what yeah. a, what yeah, a facility. There a few times, I mean, yeah. it's a, you know, a NFL yeah. 21st century facility. It, it's 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 beautiful granite countertops no well i haven't been to full sale i was talking about i was talking i'd been to the the uh the school that they had in uh, tampa before they moved to orlando was a very small facility where they had the guys going down there but it uh it evolved into what it is now but it was it was a great idea to 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 train big room with i think like eight different rings in it and all the rings have cameras looking at it. So, you know, whoever up in Stanford yep. wants to look at a certain piece of talent, they just click on that camera in that ring. The uh, weight room is off the hook. The training room, I mean, the, the lounge. I mean, it's a, it's a huge facility, wow. and uh, it's great to see the guys being pampered that way. I think most of them would rather just get paid more. But <laughs> all right. It's but it big is big time. time. I mean, big it's time. the it's the NFL it's, now, where you know it really is. But back then, you had to learn, you know, uh, just from experience, being in the ring, learning uh, where to play to the camera and how to do that. And that there wasn't really you know formal training like there is now. Uh, but uh, watching this matchup, you could tell it was it was uh, they didn't have as many cameras. They have so many cameras now around to capture every shot. Everybody knows what's coming, so they make sure they get all the cues right. And there's one one point in this match where Axe and Smash are eliminated after Smash is uh, you know he's beating on Dynamite Kid, and uh, the big bump in that is he he throws uh, the referee Hebner, one of the Hebner brothers, across the ring, and you never saw it. You never saw it on TV because they missed it. It was uh, they had they were on the floor camera looking up, and. Uh, it was just, you know, another example of, of how this, you know, production, they were, they were still learning how to do these giant shows. And uh, that certainly, as I mentioned, that would be a really difficult match to even try and, you know, to be able to, to 
let everybody see happen because you had so many guys in the ring and they're all you know around the ropes too at the same time it wasn't like you know the survivor series where you're going in and they're out and there's nobody really up on the apron you know waiting right. for tags so it was really uh, fun to watch and uh I also thought it was interesting to see the Bret Hart as a heel because shortly after that, and most of the time that I uh, worked in the WWF, he was he was a babyface. So, uh, but I, I think he yeah, enjoyed well, that. Again, as we talked before, second generation guys. I mean, Bret could pull over, pull off a, being a heel or being a babyface. But I, I think he enjoyed being a babyface more than a heel. I mean, that's who Bret was. But if you want him to be a bad guy, Bret was a good bad guy. Right. Yeah, he pulled it off, right? Uh, right hard, but but you see him time. all the time when we're wearing the glasses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you see him, you know, he'd go over, he'd come out with the glasses and he'd go and find a young, you know, young person in the in the in one of the front rows there and give him his glasses. And he can't do that as a heel. So yeah, I right. think he enjoyed yeah. that a lot better. So did it. But, but in this matchup, as we talked about, the, the tag team maybe getting thrown a bone, uh, they have the... The killer bees end up oh, winning this thing. That's, uh, of course, they had to cheat to do it. It's a surprise. So that's kind of a curveball for all the fans who thought they were going to pick out the winner of that one. Yeah, well, uh, and and especially when you've got the Islanders who are, uh, you know, the remaining tag team they go up against. Uh, who would have thought <laughs> that would happen? But uh, the way they had to do it is they put on, you know, remember occasionally they put on these masks. Well, that's right. Yeah, and, the, uh, the other one pinned them, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good gimmick. Good gimmick. Yeah, that's what happened in that one. Yeah, well, it, it works because, you know, you had uh, Brunzel's in there and then, uh, you know, Blair puts on the mask and then slingshots over so the ref doesn't know, you know, who's who. And because uh, they both have on and then, you know, he, he gets the pin. He, he, he slingshot without him the without the dick move. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if he used he it back then. <laughs> He'd be out of work. Well, <laughs> you know, fired on the spot. It, it might have been used. You kidding. never know. Yeah, exactly. Well, that and that's the way that one kind of wrapped up. And and uh, uh, as I said, uh, how they kind of between these matches, they were just it just took forever for them to to move on. There was like one point. Uh, well, before as they got to this, they went to a DiBiase vignette. Remember, they did yeah. all those vignettes. We always talked about. We have we talked about Mr. Perfect, the ones who did, and they. Did some great ones with yeah. the million dollar Teddy, man. That was a, uh, a perfect gimmick for Ted. I mean, he he lived the part. He looked the part, you know. And uh, it wasn't a stretch for Teddy doing the million dollar man gimmick. He loved it. Of course, who wouldn't, right? <laughs> He's flying yeah, first class. The rest are yeah, all stuck please. back there in coach, you know, riding in a limo. We're fighting for a rent a car, you know. Yeah, no, I got to sell it. I well, got to sell it. That was a deal it. when uh, we all came up from Mid-South, you know, Junkyard Dog, Jake the Snake, uh, Hacksaw Doug, and Teddy's like, well, I can't come up there. Look at you guys. I'm just Ted DiBiase. He ends up coming up getting the million-dollar yeah, right. man gimmick, the best gimmick of all. Yeah, well, in this his vignette, he, uh, you know, he's talking about, you know, what the million-dollar man, million dollar man uh, thinks about Thanksgiving. And then they go back and they roll all of these things that he did to people and they showed the one with the kid who tries to do the push-ups and he can't do 10. And, uh, you know, DiBiase, the million-dollar man, humiliates him. And then the kid with the basketball, which <laughs> this I day think, is I, a classic. I was there and I, oh, my God. I mean, that poor kid. I mean, if you didn't, like, <laughs> I know they ended up giving them money. If anybody ever wanted to know, I know they did end up. But that was priceless when he kicks that ball and just the look on that kid's face. 
And then he goes over to his mom and he's crying. <laughs> you think? Like, and he's on national, oh international TV yeah. dribbling the ball. And Teddy's seven, eight, night kick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, one thing I also I liked is at the end of this Ted, uh, vignette. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah, no kidding. But I, one thing I liked about this vignette is that in the end of it, um, DiBiase's driving this car, you know, that uh, through the woods of Connecticut, and his audio is perfect. So they they must have done something to fix it, but because uh, the tops down and everything. But the car he's driving is I've mentioned before that Vince liked these Clenets, right. these uh, mm-hmm. you know these old roadster cars. He's driving Vince's the purple one that he had. So if anybody wants to check I think that it was, out, uh, in that Vince's vignette, house they used uh, too, I believe. Yeah. 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 And the, maybe the same servants that they I don't had. Think you can say that, brother. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, yes, there it was you a go, butler brother. and there a you maid. Go. Okay, so not uh, servants. Um, the they had another interview coming out. Craig DeGeorge interviews uh, Honky Tonk, and of course, it's just about him ranting about why he took off, and the Intercontinental, you know, the Intercontinental Champion's not going to put up with that, and the whole thing. Then they go on, uh, Jim, which I still just did not get. They, uh, you know, it was Gorilla and Jesse doing the play-by-play in this. Who I, you know, you know that I think a lot of both of them as announcers. I just never liked right, that Right, I agree with you. They didn't, they didn't match up like uh, it worked as well Gorilla and Bobby saw. did or Jesse and Vince. You, you know, Jesse and Vince were yeah. great, Billy and, and Gorilla think, and Bobby uh, were yeah. good. But uh, Gorilla and uh, Jesse just didn't right. seem to go that smooth. I agree. Yeah, and they did a lot of events together, and I, I don't know how, how fond uh, Gino or Gorilla was of. of yeah, Jesse. I think I know that you know he, he, they worked together. Yeah, I think and, there might have been some underlying. <laughs> there might have been a little. There. There's heat. some little current going on that yeah. I think came across to on, on camera too, and where with uh, you know, uh, Vince and, and Jesse, that was just great banter, and of course Bobby and uh, and Gorilla was, you know. Yeah, friends. Like a lot of times, you can't explain why it works. Yeah, you can't explain work together as, as a team. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah, and I, and uh, you know, Jesse had his. I liked his style. I, I love the way that Jesse really logically could explain just about anything, in, as the angle went. You know, with people, uh, and, and really explain it in a way like it was sports. It was like he was really, you know, a, a, a former athlete right. talking about a play. And he would be able to justify psychologically why this guy did that. And it was, you know, it was really good. I just don't, just him playing off Gorilla didn't work as yeah, well. Kind with of, Vince, uh, it did. Yeah, beating against and, authority and that, with Vince, you know, where Gorilla just didn't work. Of course, uh, yeah. Jesse got enough heat with my sisters where they hated him. He talked bad about me. He did a good job there. But yeah. I think with Vince, I think that banter was different than with Gorilla. Yeah, but for some reason they did before this final match, and I I timed it because it just seemed forever. <laughs> and they would never do this now. I mean, you know, they use announcers are bridges for of ten to right. thirty seconds max. They did That's six a- minutes, Jim, of talking, going through every match that had happened to that point. And I'm thinking, what in the world were they? Did they have to fill time for? Uh, on this because that's what it looked like it was I like think, phil yeah, i don't I know but Harley six minutes <laughs> <laughs> fill that time and dug it and race that's right yeah yeah but it was a pay-per-view right. you can get off whenever you want it's yeah, not like you exactly, got a hard but... out here you know oh i didn't need to <laughs> you just keep yeah. bringing that guy up <laughs> keep bringing joey ryan up yeah 
so then we get to the, uh, I guess we describe as the main event, uh, Hulk Hogan and uh, Andre the Giant, uh, you know, the captains of these teams that uh, we're going to be in this final uh, Survivor Series match. And th- this is another, uh, you know, we talk about this roster and some of the talent. Uh, the talent that they had for these matches, especially in this this uh, final one, you know, with Andre the Giant, King oh. Kong Bundy, uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, who was, uh, you know, really uh, coming on the scene then, and, and uh, One Man Gang, OMG, I know a big favorite of yours, The Natural Butch Reed. And then you had Bobby Heenan and, and Slick at ringside. And that was, that was Andre's side. And then you had... Uh, the WWF heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan, when they used to say heavyweight champion. Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, who was really uh, big at the time. Ken Patera, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, and uh, The Rock, Don Morocco. Isn't it funny we had a rock <laughs> From before? Hawaii, too, yeah. right? I think Don, that's where... Um, yeah. But, you know, the, all of those guys were... And it, there was a lot of beef in this ring well, for this, like this match. Going up against uh, the NWA thing, they had everybody on the roster on this card. And, of course, the, you know, you want to make sure that's yeah. a one really good ring. That, that might be pushing the weight limit of, of rings with that group in there. Yeah, it was a, a, a lot of juice. Well, not just uh, juice, just, uh, just uh, girth with uh, Gang and Bundy and uh, Andre, yeah. uh, Morocco, uh, Bam Bam. I mean, Morocco looked like he was going to explode yeah. at any moment. I mean, it looked like an air hose <laughs> yeah. had been uh, inserted, you know, somewhere. And really, you he look was at gigantic. that thing, Rude and, uh, and, and Butch uh, were the, uh, the small guys of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Orndorff. Yeah. Orndorff. Orndorff wasn't particularly big either. Neither was uh, neither was rude. But well, compared uh, to regular you know, folks, they were big. They, compared they, to that group, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, and and it, you, and it showed in the ring. I mean, it was just like wow. Uh, you know, even even uh, looking at uh, you know uh, one man gang next to Andre, he didn't seem that much shorter and. Uh, and, not, and neither did Bam Bam Bigelow. Bigelow, Bigelow yeah. was... Uh, there's a lot of weight in that ring, no question, man. There's a lot of weight. So when you when you uh, think back to this this matchup, when you've got, got this many people in here as far as... And, and, the, and the size of these people, is it any different than, uh, you know, lining up for the match well, that you participate because you know Andre's not going to do too much to the finish so he's going to be on the apron most of the time so that yeah. cuts that down Hogan's not going to do a whole lot neither so the rest of the guys probably got their spots they go in mm-hmm. and, and do their spots but uh, yeah you know when you got that many guys in the ring what you don't want is no cross bodies no coming off the top rope or nothing nobody flying around where you might land on the back of somebody's legs you want to be careful when there's a lot of guys in the ring uh, but uh yeah, and when you've got that going, I mean, it's basically it's supposed to be two guys in there, and, and like and you said, yeah, yeah just getting. In and I tell out. you, you see, folks but, sometimes you, they win a contest or something, they get in the ring. Just getting in the ring is a, a challenge. Getting in between those ropes and getting there quick is, is tough. So, um, just another little offshoot on what kind of athletes those great big men are. Are you talking about Gang and Bundy and and? Uh, Bam Bam, you're talking about great big heavy men, and they're moving around pretty agile. I mean, all three of those guys were were pretty agile. Yeah, and uh, what about Bam Bam Bigelow? Uh, you don't hear people talk too much about him, as far as the uh, you know when when uh, 
you talk about some of these legends, but he really he could really move in that ring, and extremely I was always agile. impressed by yeah, he was ex- his extremely agility. agile, yeah. and very powerful too. You know, and of course the first guy really to have the flames on his head, you know, uh, tattooed on his head. Of course, one man mm-hmm. gang had the uh, the skull and cross crossbones tattooed on the side side of his head. So they weren't only big and ugly; they were scary too. <laughs> Sorry, gang. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> No, but really, the, like you mentioned, that these guys were, you know, could really, could really work, and and um, and Bam Bam got a really uh, big push, you know, in the finish of this. I mean, Andre comes out on top. Uh, spoiler alert there, sorry, but uh, everybody knew that anyway. But uh, he, you know, lasts uh, a long time in this ring, and I, at the end of it, it's there's, uh, you know, the it's it's Bam Bam and and uh, you know these three other superstars in there with you know Andre the Giant. And the uh, he takes two of them out, you know, to to uh, to get to to the last man, which is Andre. And it was, you know, uh, I just was very impressed by how Bigelow yeah. sold in this yeah, match. Bam, Bammer was good, and of course, you know who we hadn't talked about much because you know he said with uh, Slick and Bobby Heenan was old Oliver Humperdinck. Remember the Hump man? He was a, a good manager. Yeah, and he was at ringside as well. But then, uh, you know, as I mentioned, in the, as they uh, wrapped this thing up, you know, gang, this one-man gang. In Hall there, of and, Fame. Uh, you know, Bam Bam Bingalow takes him out. Yeah, and uh, and the and then the big finish with, with Andre because, you know, Hulk gets uh, counted out in this. Uh, and, of course, you know, uh, then he comes back in and cracks, uh, you know, Andre after Andre wins this thing. And there was a lot of criticism uh, about the Hulkster in this coming in, and, and maybe uh, whether or not he had control over how this thing was going to end and what who was going to take the stage. And uh, but the the fact that he came in and didn't they didn't bring Bam Bam back in or anything like that because he's the guy that outlasts or at least for his team. Uh, do you remember any any heat? No, uh, I, I can't see where Bam would be hot if they if they, if they put him. This thing wrapped up. No, I was just saying with Bam Bam, but I mean with how you know the the reaction to you know uh, Hulk, I guess. Well, Ho- showcasing yeah. here. Well, Ho- Hogan's ever. the marquee guy at a company, man. I mean, he's the lead singer of the band. We're just uh, the rest are playing guitar and the uh, the drums. Hogan's Hogan, so yeah, I can see him coming out and doing a deal and. Uh, I, I think anybody that knows business realized that they're out there and they're showcasing their their marquee guy who was is Hulk Hogan. Yeah, well, and that's how you know this thing kind of wrapped up with uh, you know with Andre and uh, he, they do a backstage interview with him and and uh, with Mean Gene and Bobby, but and and this thing would go on you know with Andre and Hulkster. Uh, as they went on, and, and they were always thinking about how I these think things were going to All during that, up. me and Harley were still but, fighting uh, through the back, Sean, just to... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But overall, I mean, what was your thinking back on this when uh, I told you earlier that about the, like poll the poll results um, on Sunday? You know, I think uh, everybody started to yeah. realize that what this pay-per-view meant. You know, like I said, it was start the, the start of something new, and we didn't know if they were going to do one a year, if they were going to do any a year, or how many. And I think uh, it was, like you said, a learning curve where the production wasn't that good. Uh, the, probably the wrestling wasn't as smooth as it should have been. 
but it was just the the, the WWF and its infancy going uh, to the pay-per-view deal. So it's hard to be critical of something that's taken off and turned into the the monster that it is. Just glad to be part of it. Yeah, and and you've mentioned several times, Jim, that uh, it was you got on a roller coaster and it just uh, was great ride. You know, just kept climbing and climbing. Is. You know, I've, I've been wrestling and, for many uh, years, relatively just a. a short time in my career with the WW but that all anybody ever remembers it's uh it's huge what the WWF did for for me and my whole generation of guys that worked for him could have been better yes could we get retirement yes maybe insurance yeah bottom line though it's been a pretty good ride you're not kidding yeah at the time do uh did you and the boys realize with you know this pay per view, and then they would go to where we're going to have you know the four big ones before they you know really took off and started doing these on a, on a, a much more uh, you know much well, more often. What I think it would come down to even yeah, a month. What I think everybody was thinking about back then, to be honest, was like this was going to be a much better payoff than a regular house show or a regular TV show. This is a pay per view. We're going to make some good bread off this. And, you know, that's that's the way, you know, the talent looked at it. It's a way to, to, to generate more revenue. Well, well relatively, I mean, I mean uh, compared to Hogan, overall, uh, no, I mean, not too it? much. Andre, no. But, no, no, but I'm just saying relatively on a, yes, as a yeah, whole, uh, as far yeah, as you'd make more how money did that change? Pay-per-view. You sure would. The yeah, income. That would. But, you know, you used to have to wait. I think it was like three or four months to get that uh, to get that check. For some reason, it took forever to get the payoff from a pay-per-view and the, you know, the big underbelly thing going on was Vince was putting the money into an account and just making the interest off it and all kinds of uh, tales that were going on. But bottom line, it did take a while to get that pay-per-view check, but it always was a little bone once in a while. Sometimes a big bone, sometimes not so big. Yeah. Well, a lot of times it took a while. Yeah, that's probably, that's probably these, more uh, like it than all cable the, the scuttlebutt that's going yeah. about the wrestling, but, uh, you know, the talent's going to gripe. <laughs> best part best part of the job <laughs> so how did these events how did, how did these events uh affect the house shows as far as the the live gates from what you remember i mean did you see a big a big well, kick from I think these it, yeah, I, events that it was a lot because a lot of uh, folks are you know, you know looked the other way and said they thought they hurt the house shows i was on the uh, other vein where i think it helped the house shows because it made it a bigger deal you know wwf they're on pay-per-view and now they're going to come to my hometown you can watch them all over the world but they're coming here to our civic center so i think it just generated more and more excitement yeah. about the show coming to town yeah well, uh, it certainly did. It went from there, and uh, you know we had like the the big four uh, these pay per view events, and then of course, as I mentioned, it just took off from there. Um, they were always very exciting for me to be involved in. I loved doing the pay per views. I loved the way we set them up with all of the storylines and uh, you know and building these house shows as we went along to get to the pay per views. Very exciting. Even nowadays, center. I mean, you know, you, you pull um, up I, on the bus, you yeah. see the folks all surrounding the arena, everybody's carrying signs and dressed up like their favorite character, a lot of undertaker. <laughs> you know, but I mean, it's yeah. exciting not only for the fans, but it's also exciting for the talent. Uh I, I, you know, I still get butterflies. I still enjoy it. I think uh, if that doesn't happen, then it might be time to move on for somebody. Yeah. Well, you know, as far as the way people remember this event, uh, just as a, a, you know, one of the big events that the WWF uh, has done, 
and there has been, you know, where they're coming up on the 30th one just for the Survivor Series. And it rates, you know, pretty much in the mid-level of, but you think about all that have taken place, that ain't bad considering, as I mentioned, the, the production issues that they had, uh, you know, the, the cues were, the, you know, the off and uh, they didn't look that great, but it still stands up in those matches. I think all of them were great, even though I enjoyed watching the, the women's match which I think a lot of people back then were kind of like, oh, boy, okay, now time to <laughs> well, go get a beer, you know. But uh, no, but really, I think but you might have really planted a seed, Sean, where folks that have the network are going to say, hey, you know, that might be worth checking out, see where it came from, where to, what it's become. It's, no, uh, they should. You know, it, it is something to see. Yeah. That is a great, you know, that's a good good match to look at because uh, it really, they had, you know, they were some of the top performers in the, uh, in the world of professional wrestling, when it came to women, and you had you know, Mula in there. <laughs> was that a Sherry shot? Was the you know the queen? No, but I'm saying from the it was that was she was, <laughs> that was another shot, Mooney. And then you you're see two, the comparison. two on the way out here, brother. <laughs> At least you're going after Mula instead of me. <laughs> I'm more afraid of you than Mula. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, but. But but really to see the comparison of someone like that and then the you know the the flying angels you know that uh, and and that movement which is like you said you see today these divas and the way they fly around so uh, I think it's it was a great uh, event in World Wrestling Federation history and it was it was so much more as I mentioned uh, that, that was behind this as when you look at what pay per view became and how it was really. Uh, launched in that in that part of the you know era of the wwf and how gigantic it became so uh, i think it was a great event to talk about today and yeah, it was fun to go back like over that and think uh, of the guys and think of all the stars that were there but let's f- no more dick move talks for tremendous a while, lineup. Okay. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 we we, we covered the entire body uh this, be ronnie this garvin's out. body stomp <laughs> Yeah, right there. Oh. Uh, we got a couple questions though before we uh, get you out of here, Jim. Um, and this is a, this is a story uh, of an encounter, and then also a question for you all rolled into one. So this is from Darren Carey of Everett, Washington. He says, "One night after a house show in Yakima, Washington, I was able to catch up with a certain rental car. Hawk <laughs> was in the convenience store buying a case of beer while Animal Pump Gas." In the car, Mr. Perfect was in the passenger seat yelling at children that he would not sign autographs for them. In the back seat was Hacksaw. I know Bill Watts would have fined you for this back in Mid-South, and it's evident Vince would not. Did you prefer working in an organization, where this is the question part, where you wouldn't get fined for traveling with someone from the opposite side, or did you miss the art of kayfabe? So that, the question is, you know, the, the difference there between, you know, you wouldn't do that and... I think also, you know, do you miss well, that? I kind of miss, miss that K-fabe era of the business. business. You know, back then, where the there wasn't just a kayfabe. The whole business was very closed. There's only a few guys that knew about wrestling. There wasn't like a wrestling yeah. website that pulled the curtain back and told everybody all the secrets about the handshake, about the juice, about speaking Kiazarni. I mean, you know, now everybody. Yeah, I kind of miss that yeah. era. But as a talent, though, I, I've always, I, I seem to get along better with the heels. You know, I, I always joke. I said the biggest competition on good guy side is for mirror space. Everybody's in there looking at their hair. They are all greased up, <laughs> looking at their muscles. You know, yeah, I enjoy traveling with Kurt and Doctor Death and guys like that. But uh, yeah. 
Well, the guys you hung out with, they're just smelling the shirt. Another shot, Moody. That's three for three. But, you know, and I'm not saying you remember that night in Yakima, but that was probably a, yeah. a typical evening, yeah, wasn't it? Going and stopping at the yeah. convenience store. Because yeah, who knows how far the beer. drive was. Imagine nowadays a bunch of open beers in the car. I mean, wow. But back then, uh, yeah, we'd all, you know, load up and probably go from Yakima, head over to Seattle or somewhere, and a show the next night. And, of course, traveling with Kurt, you know, you'd never get bored. He was a great storyteller and a rib puller, so... Uh, that was that sounded like a fun car, except for animal animals. Okay, but hawk. Yeah. There were six of them. I beat all of them up at the same time. I'm like, oh brother, where's the nasties? I'll tell you about eighteen truckers. They tried to come at me. Yeah, but uh, that yeah, that would have yeah. been a fun ride. I would think. Yeah. After a while, though, I tell you, uh, but. Yeah, but that that was that's how yeah. how you rolled, as they say. Uh, back good, in the, good place to see cities, the boys, right? Yeah. Beer stop after the All show. Right. And then one, yeah, and I, uh, yeah, I was just waiting for you to say, <laughs> "God, I missed the '90s. <laughs> I missed the '80s." He's going to go to the '70s, Mooney. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and one more for you, Jim. Uh, I have a question here. Uh, let's see. It's uh, when you wrestled in Mid South. You wrestled Ted DiBiase many times. There was one match I still haven't gotten an answer to, and he has emailed us a couple of times. The match where you, and this is Sean, Sean Crouch. He says you may know his name. Uh, the match where you and Teddy was wrestling, and he supposedly ran into your fist, which made him gush blood from his nose. I asked Ted this question. He said that you forgot the spot, and you said he ran into your oh. fist. Which one is the real deal? Do you remember oh, an encounter well, where you split him more open? More than one time with Teddy. I, I split him open over the years. You know, I'm still, I'm out there. My eyes are crossed. I'm throwing these live rounds like grade A hams flying towards Teddy. You know, I've got him a few times over the years, but uh, I always said he ran into my fist. You know, (laughs) of course, I'll tell you a quick story to go off. off, off, The two inches. He got me back one time. I was getting some juice with a blade, which I hated to do because I just hated to to, to disagree my body with a razor blade. But anyway, I'm getting juice and I'm like, Teddy, is that enough? He's like, no more so i get some more enough teddy's like no more about three or four times more dug in more i look down i'm like ankle deep in blood you know <laughs> so dibiase got me back yeah he worked you for that one all right some great questions folks keep them coming uh we're just getting out of time here uh, once again please spread the word on the podcast we're available on mlwradio.com and of course as I continue to mention, iTunes, because uh, you help us out a lot when you subscribe there, uh, even more when you give us a, a five-star rating and uh, give us a review on there. We love to hear some feedback, but uh, we uh, really want you to, to uh, get the word out so that we can keep doing this every week. I can keep driving uh, Jim crazy and uh, putting, keep putting up with my nonsense. Uh, you can also contact us, uh, once again, through our uh, the website, which is uh, – <clears throat> What is it? Primetime at MLW.com. Primetime at MLW.com. You can uh, get in touch with uh, Hacksaw at, uh, official, at Official Hacksaw and, of course, me at Sean Mooney Who. And we also have uh, the podcast Twitter handle at Primetime MLW. There's lots of ways to get to us so we can get back to you. So thanks, folks, once again. 
uh, for joining us here on Primetime with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean brother, I'll tell you. But I just want to say one thing for our good friend, Rick Flair. Rick, we're thinking about you, buddy, and this hoe's for you. Ho! Interested in starting your own podcast? Audioboom can help with our $9.99 monthly subscription plan for hosting and distribution. You'll get 200 minutes of recording time per episode, a branded homepage on the Audioboom platform, embeddable players for web and social media, advanced analytics, and so much more. To sign up for your $9.99 monthly subscription plan, go to audioboom.com start. That's A-U-D-I-O-B-O-O-M dot com slash S-T-A-R-T.